There is no epilepsy Olympics. There is no <laughs> grief holy grail. They all just suck. And yeah. if we could just be present and be with each other in the suckiness of it, instead of having to to rank them on some fictitious hierarchy, I think we would all feel so much more seen and settled in our grief, in our disabilities, mm -hmm. because we are not trying to justify or rationalize or verify. We just allow them to be as they are. And it's, um, that is a hill I will die on. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I'll die with you. Before we jump into this episode, I want to invite you to join the What The F community to hear even more conversations that will make you laugh, cry, and feel more connected. All I'm asking you to do is click on that subscribe button that's right on your screen. I love your support, and it is so inspiring and amazing to see all of your comments. Thank you so much for subscribing. It means the world. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to What The F. I am so excited about today's conversation with Kelly Cervantes. Before we get started, though, I really want to thank the people who make What the F possible, our teams at SK Life Science and Norellis. Thank you guys for believing in What the F, for making situations like this even a thing. Can't thank you enough and um, ready to go. Hi, Kelly. Hello. Thank you for having me oh, here. Thank you so much for being here. I have been looking forward to talking to you like at the moment I finished this, I cannot wait. So Kelly's new book is called Normal Broken, which is USA Today's best-selling book. Mm -hmm. No big deal. MBD. Yeah. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Kelly is also the host of Cure Foundation Seizing Life podcast, which mm -hmm. is so amazing. I love it. Thank you so much for doing that. And Thank you. all of the stories and education you're putting out there. Um also, I love your blog, Inchstones, um, which just like has so much relatability and transfers so much into the book, um, which we're going to talk about a little bit later. Because before we dive in, I just want to like get a, you know, just in case our audience isn't aware how you got involved in epilepsy advocacy. And my question, too, is why you chose to, because it's very easy to go through a health. It's not easy to go through a health issue. What am I talking about? But it's. It, you can you don't have to get involved in advocacy is what I mean. And yeah. There's no right or wrong mm -hmm. in that. I don't ever believe there's a right or wrong, but I just am so curious as to why your family chose to be like, we're going to be active and we're going to be loud and we're going to talk about this and be a touchstone for other people. Yeah. So my daughter Adelaide uh, was diagnosed with epilepsy when she was seven months old. And uh, two months later, that would progress to infantile spasms. And she never went longer than three months uh, with seizure freedom. That was that was the longest stretch we had. And I think after three months, it might have been two weeks. Uh, so she had um, seizures the duration of her life, which was unfortunately short. She passed away just before her fourth birthday. And you know, we ended up getting involved in the epilepsy community and advocacy pretty quickly after she was diagnosed. And a large part of that was because the same week that she was diagnosed, my husband was cast as Alexander Hamilton in the blockbuster musical. So he did a month in New York. I think I've heard of it. Maybe. Maybe just <laughs> once or twice in passing. Yeah. Um, so he did a month in New York and then we moved to Chicago. And 
I was planning our family's move to Chicago from Adelaide's hospital bedside as we were hospitalized for a month with her infantile spasms diagnosis and um, just wildly overwhelmed by everything that was happening. And then I remembered that there had been this organization I in my previous life prior to Hamilton and Adelaide's diagnosis, I had worked for a um, for Tom Colicchio's restaurant group in New York City, coordinating and selling events for one of his restaurants. And we had hosted an event for this nonprofit called Cure Epilepsy. Mm -hmm. And I knew that they were based in Chicago. And I was like, wait a minute, I think I should probably reach out to this organization that does something with epilepsy and is based in the city that we are headed to. And so it really started as just a cry for help. Like, I need community. I need doctor recommendations. Mm -hmm. um, can someone please help me? And then once we were slightly settled in Chicago, it dawned on us as Miguel is getting all of these interview requests that we have a platform. People care what Miguel has to say because he's been cast as Hamilton and we have this opportunity and how amazing would it be if instead of just using it to talk about Hamilton, we could shine a light on epilepsy and and sort of shift the focus to where we want the attention to be driven. And so that became just very natural. Miguel would bring it up in interviews. And then we really dove further in as I learned more about epilepsy. I learned how not rare it is, even though the conditions that comprise it are often quite rare, um, that, you know, the diagnosis isn't and how little research there was. And because Adelaide didn't have a cause behind hers, because nothing was helping her epilepsy was intractable, fundraising, raising awareness, learning about the research, supporting the researchers became an outlet for me where that was a place I could be productive. There was only so much I could do to help Adelaide, and that was exceedingly frustrating. But we could raise money. I could review um, science proposals on a research committee. Sure. I could um, give talks and and speak to any microphone that was thrown in my face, and that felt like I was doing something. You were. Because I was one of those people that opened a magazine in Chicago, because that's where I live one day, and I see Hamilton's family. And I remember seeing it, and I was very early in my epilepsy journey. I think only a year in, maybe. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, they're talking about it. They're talking about it. How brave. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for talking about it. And it was it really, truly made a, a difference. This is like a very full circle moment for me because <laughs> I even remember the picture that was of you, Miguel and Adelaide in this magazine. And um, it was just and I, I was like, I, I was so grateful. I was so grateful that and I don't believe that everyone that has a platform has a necessity, an ob obligation. No one has an obligation to use it. But I am still grateful when people do. And so thank you, because it was truly, I mean, I know in this 
person with epilepsy's life it made a difference and i know i'm not the only one thank you for saying that it it helps i think also to um i'm not someone who believes that everything happens for a reason However, I do believe that we can make reason out of everything that happens. I knew we were soul sisters. I've been saying that for so long. I, that's one of my favorite phrases. You know, sometimes you have to find the reason. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to find it. It's not just presented. No. But, and I feel like that's also very, you know, apparent in your book as well. Um, which, so then I guess my next question is like, how, what start, what inspired you to start Inchstones, your blog? And how did that turn into this book, you know, because it's just like, I don't know, you've taken a lot of things already that you've described that are very difficult. And then you're like, I'm going to, but I'm going to, you know, take this and make, and I'm going to bloom. I'm going to make something beautiful with it. Yeah. The blog started, I mean, originally the very basic start of it was to sort of keep family and friends updated on how Adelaide was doing. It quickly became an outlet for me to voice some of my frustrations Mm, and to process my grief around her diagnosis. Even before she had passed away, there's so much grief that comes with um, a medically complex, with medically complex parenting that comes with an epilepsy diagnosis. So many Mm -hmm. things are taken from you that you had taken for granted before, just assumed were the natural order of things. And It was a way for me to really process a lot of these complicated and contradictory thoughts and feelings that were going on in my head. And I found that I wasn't the only one that was feeling these things. Mm -hmm. People were commenting, people were sharing. And, and, you know, it's so important that we, that we share our stories, that you have this podcast to share other people's stories because we do, we need that community. We need to know that we're not alone. I say all the time, I am just not that special. And I am, I am special. In, you are. Well, I, <laughs> I am special in all the ways that Mr. Rogers taught me when I was four. Yes. However, nothing that I'm experiencing is unique to me. My story, sure. the way that it has unfolded is unique to me, but my the way that I feel is not Mm -hmm. my reaction to it is not that is so beautiful so in that way sharing it's um it feels very natural because then it's like it's a sounding board it only helps me to then know that that I am feeling something that a community is feeling around me also and So it just felt very natural that after Adelaide passed away, I continued to write instead of talking about the grief of living with her. It became the grief of living without her. And um, and then that sort of resonated and touched an even wider audience because no one makes it through life without being faced by grief of some kind or another. And and I didn't know what to do with myself after she died. She had been my entire world. I I gave up everything, my career, my identity most days to be her caregiver. Mm -hmm. And after she died, I, all I had was writing. All I had was the blog really. And my advocacy with cure epilepsy. And, um, and so it was, it just felt 
like the natural next step because it was something I had already been doing and something I could do and still remain connected to her memory. Yeah. And what I love that you just said and that you talk about in Normal Broken is that there are different types of grief. And that's why I just really want to, you know, talk about how special this book is because, you know, I could see someone and myself included, to be completely honest, I'm like, normal broken. Okay, this is going to be tough. It's be a tough one. Buckle in. Here we go. But it's really just about how grief is in so many aspects of life. And it's kind of like grief is a part of just everyday life, whether it's, it's normal. Yes. Soup's normal. Yeah. Soup, soup, snore. I was like, "What kind of soup is that?" I'm not. Oh, I don't know these <laughs> these little phrases. Oh, you um, got to get an eleven year old in your eyes to teach you all that. <laughs> so, yeah, but like, and you talked about this too, and I went to your talk at the bookseller in Chicago. Um, but just how there are just so many different parts of life that are grief, mm-hmm. and that it's you know, and and you talk about it in this book too as well that you know identity can be a loss, you know, um, and sometimes we're going through things we don't even know we're going through the grief process. Mm-hmm. And really, when I was reading, I was like, so grief is just our response to change. Then yeah. it's just the not fun. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I did my homework. Yes. Um, yeah, it's like the not fun yeah. part of change. It's resistance to change. Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge part of grief. There is the the missing of our person and this like there is this emotional aspect, but so much of grief is that resistance to change, which is interestingly why you see a lot of grief literature being used in the business world, which totally shocked me when I was starting to do some research for the book is that I was finding all of these sources in business literature. And I was like, oh, because it boils down to change and having to adapt and that those are huge themes in the business world so um so this should be part of mba program as well clearly yes obviously help you survive your mba (laughs) program um i have to say my favorite i have a favorite chapter and i think like at one point i felt like i could write a whole book about this but it was uh when gratitude is a struggle that chapter is my favorite because you cover the um the phrase at least mm-hmm. <laughs> which when i was diagnosed with my second brain tumor i said i could write an entire book about at least and why you should never use that phrase ever 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 and so when i came across this i was just like oh this feels so validating you know that yeah because in just that it's pointing out it's just saying like well at least your feelings don't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, it's diminishing your feelings mm-hmm. because they are making someone else uncomfortable. And that's that is I was so angry for duration, the duration of Adelaide's life. And then afterwards, too, because I constantly felt like those at least statements were being thrown at me. And I it, it, it's it's aggravating because until what I eventually realized was that those statements had nothing to do with me. They, they, yeah. It had everything to do with the person who was saying them mm-hmm. and their uncomfortability with my situation, with my grief. And and I needed to just sort of push it to the side and not let it affect me because that was their issue and not mine. Yes. And, but that doesn't 
really make you feel much better. No, no. I, it's like it, it's like constantly being like. It comes from a place of love. It comes from a place of love. They're trying to, they're just trying to fix it. They don't know don't what to say. I don't know that it's coming from a place of love entirely. It's coming from a place of not knowing what to say mm. and just wanting the situation to go away. And I yeah. do think, I do think the intent is good. The intent is to do the least amount of harm, I hope. Right. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it, it, and I think a lot of times the people who are saying it, if they knew how it was being received, they would just be ashamed and embarrassed. And yes, there are However. other, <laughs> However. choose your words carefully, Kelly. <laughs> it's what the F, you can say whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> oh, God, I love that so much. Um, <laughs> it, but it's, it, it is like, try harder. Yes. <laughs> Try hard. You know, that would just, I, I, that should just be like the, the response now. So when someone says, at least it's not this, I'll just be like, Try it or try. I'm just try. And if you don't get it, walk away, go think about yeah. it. Have a little sit with a cup of tea and go yeah. think about what I'm trying to say to you. Um, yeah. And the, uh, what I had never thought about before was the forced gratitude. And that's something that, I think is, you know, like, again, it just, it spreads beyond um, grief, right? Mm -hmm. It spreads, it's like, it's very much in our culture yeah. and how um, you refer to it as like the close cousin of toxic positivity. God damn, that just made me so happy. I was yeah. like, because I couldn't name the thing you were talking about. Yeah. But it's, it's this idea that you have to be grateful for something else because of this shit thing that happened. Yeah. So... I have to be extra grateful for my daughter, Anessa, that we adopted because Adelaide died. And I, it's bullshit. Yes. It is such, I'm like, no, I don't have to be grateful for her. I am grateful for her. I love her and she is amazing, period. Adelaide died and that fucking sucks. Every day it sucks. I love her and I am so grateful that I got to be her mom and she was amazing. And I am learning very slowly to accept that her journey was what it was meant to be, what it was supposed to be. But I do not have to be extra grateful for Anessa because of Adelaide. They are two separate thoughts with a period in between them. I love God. When you use gra grammar... <laughs> Used to be an English teacher. So you talk grammar to me, and I'm like, let's go, yeah. let's go. I love grammar, um, but that's so true. I love saying because there's there's very much to this um, shift, you know, to say, well, there's this and this, mm -hmm. but why not just say there's this, there's this, and yeah. then they don't they don't coexist. They don't have to coexist. Mm -mm. Both and is a beautiful state is sentiment, and I appreciate it, and I do believe Same. that there is there is a place for both and. Mm -hmm. There is also a place for periods and and. Forced gratitude is one of the places where that period really needs to. We can, our our gratitude should be, gratitude is a beautiful thing. And I do, I believe in gratitude journals. I believe that we should think about all of the things that we are grateful for and fortunate for in our lives. But it should, does not need to be, we should not be grateful because of something else. We should just be grateful because. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And with that, I'm going to pick up a little, read a little bit okay. from your book, just yes, because I need it. our listeners to hear this. Um, but it's it's that same sentiment um, where you say both statements are true. 
They do not need to have any correlation to each other to remain true. Yes, shitty things have happened, they sucked, and they are wildly unfair. Good things are also happening, and deep down, we want to enjoy them. Not because we should, not because of our ill-fated past, but because we deserve to enjoy and appreciate the good just for being good. Dang. <laughs> 100%. I love that. I love that. Just, you know, and it's taking the comparison out, mm-hmm. which I think is just another thing that kind of diffuses our society in general is just comparing one person to another, one thing to another, our former selves to our current just selves, the whole thing. Be. Yeah. Just let, let it, be. it be. I think we see it so much in the epilepsy community, mm-hmm. this comparison. Well, yes. you know, at least I don't have tonic clonics. I'm like, well, I say that all the time. But still, I'm like, but, like, I... but, but, but seizures are seizures. That's what my therapist like, says back. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> yes. they all suck. Yes. They all mm-hmm. affect us in different ways and comparing and competing against them. There mm-hmm. is no epilepsy Olympics. There is no <laughs> grief holy grail. They all just suck. And yeah. if we could just be present and be with each other in the suckiness of it, yes. instead of having to to rank them on some fictitious hierarchy, Mm -hmm. I think we would all feel so much more seen and settled in our grief, in our disabilities, Mm -hmm. because we are not trying to justify or rationalize or verify. We just allow them to be as they are. And it's, um, that is a hill I will die on. Yes. (laughs) I'll die with you. It's just so. <laughs> I will be I'm on that really, hill with you. Yes. Really passionate about that. No, one. and well, it's it's just a hard one to come out of because mm-hmm. like there is that forced gratitude again of being like, well, at least my seizures could be worse. You know, I could have tonic clonic seizures. Um, and and I think that also gets fed back to us too. And so there, and that's kind of like, especially when you're among people with epilepsy, you never want to appear ungrateful for what you have. Like sure. that, I have medical care that I'm able to live alone, even though I'm not anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, that those things that like, you're like, well, I, I just should be, I just should have this gratitude. And as I do. Yes. However, you should have that gratitude. I can. Yeah. I had 32 years of life before epilepsy. You know, I can tell you it was a lot easier without it. I am grateful for those 32 years as well. You yeah. know, so I think I think it's just a hard thing to break. And like, I'm so glad you're bringing it up because it's something I feel like as an epilepsy community, we need to take on and talk about more, mm-hmm. you know, and just have those conversations like and and just be like, hey, I'm not mad at you because you don't have to clonic. I'm not mad at you because you can drive, you know, kind of a, like we're all in this together. We sort are of all thing. in this together. And I think that that's one of the pieces that can hold the epilepsy community back sometimes because mm. it is so fractured and it's it's i understand why it is mm-hmm. epilepsy is a spectrum disorder you meet one person with epilepsy you have met one person with epilepsy yep. it, even if you have the same type of seizure even if you have the same genetic diagnosis even if you have the brain injury in the same part of your brain it is going to look differently and different in every single person yep. and that's beyond frustrating because you can't just like hold up a model of like this is what epilepsy looks like which means people outside of the community don't understand it Mm -hmm. right and and communicating around it is so difficult and then you get people um 
I sit on the board of Cure Epilepsy, and so I, I get a lot of feedback, and we're constantly trying to talk about our programming and our messaging. And you want to message one thing, and but you worry if you message about the people who are intractable, that you are alienating the people who do have their seizures under control but are still affected by the side effects of their medication. And so yeah. those people aren't going to be seen they're not, they don't feel seen because you're focusing on the drastic stories. But if you focus on the positive look, these, this is the progress that we're making. This person has seizure control or this person um, was cured by the ketogenic diet or by a surgery or whatever, mm -hmm. um, then the people who don't, are, they feel helpless and hopeless and like no one is paying attention to. And so it's, it creates these divisions within the community when I really think that at the end of the day, we it, we have the numbers, people. Right. right. We have the numbers. Yeah. There are millions in this community. And mm -hmm. that's just the patients. That's You're not even talking about right. the advocates, the caregivers, the, the families of the world. Yep. Um, so it is. It's really frustrating to see the, the fractions. And I wish that we could leave the comparisons and the competitiveness to the side and just come together as a community in that way and and hunt you know and and really work together to to fund the research that we, we don't even know why epilepsy happens like the <laughs> the impetus of a seizure we still don't know still don't the know. very basic mm -mm. science behind that it's insane it's insane yeah and i you know if you want to hear me diana hill i'll talk about the eeg forever just because i'm like <laughs> it's like we haven't you know it's like, yeah. this is our technology. This is yeah. all we have. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm nothing against, like my last guest was an EEG tech. Nothing against the techs. Love the techs. Not your fault. It's the fact that we need to come up with more yeah. and, you know, to figure it out. Like you said, we don't even know how it starts. Yeah. We're just guessing. Yeah. And they're like, well, just guess and we'll keep guessing to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. I just, I would love to see, I would love to see more. And I do. And I think that we're starting to, we're starting to see more collaborative efforts. Mm -hmm among Absolutely. the different organizations especially, yeah. and... especially in chicago just saying yes I, you know because cure the chicago uh the greater chicago foundation danny um, did and danny did those three are like all working together all yeah. the time and i love it it makes me so happy it's it's a great thing to see i you know the um cure epilepsy has been working i actually just sat in on a grant review meeting we've been working with some of the rare epilepsy um organizations right. and we're co-funding with them because That's they awesome. don't have the money or they don't have the grant review process. And so Cure has sort of lifted that up and they're working with these rare epilepsies to get some of their research funded and and driven forward. And so it's amazing. It's, it's incredible. Amazing. We're starting that. to see um, the community work together. I want to see the patients support each other too, regardless yes. of and to leave the, that comparison behind mm -hmm. and and those um, those sentiments, but we'll get there. Well, we will. And I think a lot of that comes from um, you know the the concept of acceptance, which is another very heavy theme in mm -hmm. your amazing book, Normal Broken. Um, because You're very good at promoting this. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm very impressed. laughs> Well, I get like a percentage of the profits sold, right? Totes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but just the fact I love, you know, talking about acceptance isn't always a forward moving process, yeah. which I think is an, ironically something that's very hard to accept about yeah. acceptance because, you know, and there's a lot of 
back and forth. It's a deranged chicken dance. <laughs> you said it first. I, see, <laughs> when I tell people, I'm like, this book about grief is fucking hilarious. We're like, what is wrong with you? You know? But you, we have a title that's yeah. about the deranged yeah. chicken dance, when, which is so relatable. Just the title's relatable. And then yeah. you get into it, and it's even better. Well, I, and I that was something that I learned when Adelaide was alive. And actually, it was another um, a friend who has another rare disorder not epilepsy but she was like it is you know you take one step forward two steps back and it's you know mm -hmm. progress isn't linear and it's so frustrating and i find that with so many people with epilepsy where you're like you try this med and it works for a little while you get the honeymoon and then you're like back to where you were and yep. and it is it's it's managing any sort of illness and grief it's it is it is not linear you are all over the place it's like playing shoots and ladders and you have no idea where you're going to end fun. up no on shoots, any yeah. given day mm -hmm. um i've actually never enjoyed the game shoots and ladders <laughs> <laughs> you're like it's never fun no no it's a great metaphor for you yeah, yeah it is <laughs> Playing that goddamn game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever invented that. So before we um, uh, sign off here, I want to just ask you four questions. Okay. That um, kind of have nothing to do with this book. But do you have a favorite movie that you could watch every day? Princess Bride. Oh, good one. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It is. Just, I think I watched it almost every day for oh. like one year in high school. <laughs> Just like on in the background while it's like doing homework. Yeah, Love it. it's classic. classic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what is the best or what are the best types of books to read for you? Uh, I love memoirs. I love, I mean, like that is, I just, I love hearing other people's stories mm -hmm. and learning about other people's experiences who have lives that are wildly different than mine. Yes. Um, yeah, my, my bookshelf is, it's just, it's all memoirs. Same. We need to trade titles. Yeah. Um, what does it mean to you to be a friend? <laughs> to be a friend means to be present. It means to, to be there in the good and especially in the bad. It means to show up and to listen. It's beautiful. And what does self-care look like for you? <laughs> like one I won't I'll, <laughs> shit uh, <laughs> cut no. yeah right um, or like one thing that you do for yourself that you enjoy it could be like very small so I I mean writing is part of my therapy mm. as much as it yeah. is like my work it is also my therapy um, I struggled with self-care and talk about like hours of therapy spent on me not feeling like I deserve to like sit down and do something for me mm. is something yeah. I seriously struggle with. And the guilt that comes from like sitting on the couch and watching an hour of television is like, yeah. uh, some, so not that being, is like feeling like you're not being productive. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yep. I constantly need to be doing like, we yep. only have one life on this earth. Who am I? If like, what, why, I shouldn't get to like sit down and do something that's not productive or purposeful. Yep. Um, so that, that in that way, self-care is something that I am still working on. Yeah. Um, but we'll start with writing and I'm working it. on being able to like 
relax and sit. Like I'll sit and watch a TV show with Jackson, but that feels purposeful because it's something that we're like doing together. Yes, I understand. And and I don't think there's anything wrong with having purposeful self-care either. Mm -hmm. You know, that's true. It's like the purpose of this is to care for me. Yeah. So there we go. Shopping. Does shopping count as self-care? Yeah. I love a good shopping trip. Oh, okay. Well, then you can. I I am the worst shopper, so pl- please take me because I don't know how to do it. I really don't. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I can tell because you're always, you know, rocking something awesome. Thank you. Um. Okay. So everyone, Kelly's book, Normal Broken, you can get at any bookstore, anywhere, which is all amazing. All. Yes, all the bookstores. <laughs> um, I will be putting a link to my favorite bookstore, Semicolon Chicago. Um, and you can pick up a signed copy. Yeah, so Words Bookstore in Maplewood, New Jersey. If you Google Words Bookstore, Maplewood, New Jersey, um, that is my local bookstore. If you order from them, there's a place where you can, like a um, a note section, and you can say that you would like your book autographed or you would like it inscribed to someone. And That's they awesome. alert me, and I will go in and sign the book, and they will ship it out to you. I so, love it. Yeah. Beautiful. Christmas, Christmas, or oh, this is probably coming out in, in January. Yeah. So belated Christmas <laughs> holiday gift president's day gift perfect (laughs) valentine's there you go that's my brain valentine's present well talking about self-care this book is truly it's a journey in self-care because it's interactive it's personable grief and love two sides of the same coin so um kelly thank you so much for being here i really appreciate it i appreciate being here (laughs) 